Hey, I'm Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at EV. It's good to be here together tonight. Uh, cool to hear about Steve. Uh, I'm super organized myself, but I'm sure he'll be helpful for <laughs> other people at church. But uh, no, seriously, it's, gonna be, uh, it's already been such a privilege and a joy to have Steve join us. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been exploring the church that God wants us to be. Haven't we, if you've been around? If you're new, welcome to you. We've been exploring this theme of what God calls us to be as his church. We've looked at the leaders God wants. We've looked at the heart and the prayerful dependence that God's wanting. We've looked at the way we're to relate to each other. All these different areas. And so the question for us tonight is, given that this is the glorious reality of God's church... What does that mean for you and I? How are we to relate as we are part of God's church and what he's doing here at Uni Church, building us up as as a church to have Jesus at the center? So uh, 1 Timothy 3.15 is the kind of key passage throughout our series. And, And what do we see there? It's that the church functions as the pillar and the foundation of the truth, of God's truth, of how he's revealed that we are to live. And so the question is, well, then how do I live in relationship to this church, this beautiful thing that God's doing? And I think one of the ways that I thought about this question was the kind of classic, what do you want to be when you grow up? For me, it was a football star and then a policeman. And then later on, I started at uni doing psychology. And then I swapped to something much lighter and easier, pastoral ministry. <laughs> That's funny, but no, for real, it is, it is, it is a, a joke, but it is a real joy to be here in one of the pastors here at church. Um, but the question remains for each of us, what do we want to be? Some of us, we're, we are where we wanted to be when we were younger, and so the question now becomes, what do we value most? What are the things that drive us, that take our emotional energy, that we give ourselves to, that we are concerned with? in our lives? How does that play out in our relationships, our work, in all these different areas of what makes us us, humans? And and then how does that vision that we have for our lives, how does it compare with what God wants for our lives? His vision, his plans, and his purpose for each of us. See, what does God say we ought to love and value and chase after as disciples of Jesus? That ought to drive us relationally, take up our emotional energy, take up our mental headspace as we give ourselves fully towards it. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 4 puts before us this morning that what God wants for you in your life, if you trust Jesus, is to live a life as a servant. Now, servant, verse 6 there, see it with me, have your Bible open, we're going to kind of work through the Bible. Uh, It says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Now, I bet none of you when you were younger wanted to grow up to be a servant. Like, you know, to serve others, to be selfless, humble, sacrificial, to give of yourself to another. No one says, I want to be a servant when I grow up, do we? When you picture your ideal life, it's probably like, you know, on a beach somewhere, sipping a cocktail. It's, it's not serving others, I think, for lots of us. It doesn't factor in for us. And in fact, the, the culture that we live in today would put forward that the exact opposite of being a servant is what makes life good. See, what would, what would our modern culture say is the good life? It's doing things that you enjoy and not doing anything too hard. I think that's the kind of summary of what we say is the good life. It's, I don't do things I don't enjoy, and if it's hard, I don't really want to do it. 
Our feelings, our values, our goals, they're what's most important in our lives. We have kind of Western individualism flowing through our veins. We've got a serious case of main character energy. That's what we have. And the Bible puts before us this morning, or tonight I should say, that you are not the main character. I'm not the main character. Actually, God is at the center of the universe, and he's calling us to live our lives for his purposes, his values, his dreams, and his goals, not our own. Okay, that's, that's the God's vision for our lives, that we would live as servants. That's what Paul says is worth chasing after, worth giving yourself towards. And what we're going to see in today's passage is that servants live an integrated life. They know truth about God, and then they live that truth out. So there's knowledge and learning and what they know, and then there's living it out in their relationships and all the different facets of their lives. And so for us to be faithful servants of Jesus, we need to both know the truth about who he is and how that shapes us, and then we need to live it out in our lives together as this kind of community, the church. And all of that is only going to be possible by God's grace. And so let me pray again for us that as we come to look at this passage, that we would have him work in us to change us. Let's pray. Father God, we pray now as we come to think about what it means to be a faithful servant of Christ Jesus, that you would help us to push against the kind of feeling that exists in our modern culture where we just do the things that we want. Help us tonight to see that it is beautiful and good and right and true to live as servants of Jesus Christ, for him and his glory. Amen. Okay, so we're going to unpack this looking at three facets or things that faithful servants of Jesus are. First one you can see there in your outlines is gratitude. Faithful servants of Jesus Christ live a life of gratitude. See, in Ephesus, where Timothy was writing to the church here, or where Paul was writing to Timothy in Ephesus, there was this problem. These false churches were kind of hanging around like a bad smell, and they kept saying things that weren't true. They kept saying that God's world wasn't good, and the way he'd ordered his world and certain good things that he'd made were to um, be rejected, stuff like certain foods or marriage or things like that. They They were saying those things aren't good. And Paul takes aim at this kind of teaching and says it's not just false, It's actually demonic. See, look at it with me. Verse 1, he says, Now the Spirit explicitly says in the later times, that's these days that we're in now, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons, through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created. See, in contrast with faithful servants, these these false teachers couldn't care less about the truth. They're liars, and they're actually being led astray by Satan, these demonic powers at work. If you're here and visiting to church, you might just think that the things of this world are just the things that I can see. But the Bible helps us see that there are spiritual realities at play, turning us away from the truth or towards the truth. See, Satan is known as the father of all lies, and he's at work in the world primarily through people to spread lies and misinformation about Jesus and cause people to walk away from him, to to deny him, to hate him. That's false teaching. And these teachers, they don't just not care about the truth, they also don't live it out. Can you see there? They're hypocrites, Paul says. They they don't live even what they say they ought to live. And and their own consciences, which are supposed to warn them when they're doing wrong, they've been doing wrong for so long now that they just have gotten used to it. 
And their consciences don't even warn them anymore that they're doing things that are against God. See, the problem is they think being godly means denying all the good things that God has made. And that, and somehow in denying that and in doing that and living that kind of way, that that'll make them be closer to God. Okay, that's what they think. If I just don't do these things, I'll be closer to God. But Paul says the goal for a servant of Jesus Christ is not to live a terrible life. Where you, where you reject all the good things God's made. That's not the goal, as if somehow that would get you closer to God. The goal of being closer to God is met by journeying through your life full of gratitude. Gratitude to God, enjoying the created world that he has made. You don't get that discipling, joyful servant life by just rejecting everything that God's made. See, look, he says it in verse, end of verse 3. He says that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. See, a servant is full of gratitude because they know that God made everything. And he made a good world, didn't he? God wasn't holding back. He didn't give us the bare minimum in this world to enjoy. Just think about the beautiful things that live in. We live in one of the most beautiful countries in the world here in New Zealand. The mountains, the beaches, the sunsets, the vastness of the ocean. It's all there for us to enjoy. God didn't have to make it. He could have just made it flat. He didn't have to make mountains like that. Like, why did he do that? Or, or this week, uh, one of the nights this week, we had slow-cooked chicken wings. Now, sorry if you're a vegetarian. Uh, you might want to just tune out for a second. But we had these slow-cooked chicken wings, and I put this sauce on them. It was like tangy, but a bit sweet and a bit spicy. And the, the meat just kind of fell off the bones, and we were enjoying it. Oh, oh. Why did God make your taste buds? Because he wanted you to enjoy the world. He didn't have to make taste buds. Why did he make you that way? Because he made a wonderful world for us to enjoy. Even this side of the curse and where sin is in the world, there is still so much goodness to enjoy, isn't there? See, servants of Jesus are grateful because one of the ways that we can serve God is by being grateful to him, by acknowledging the world that he made, that he's the creator and he made a wonderful world. More and more these days, I don't know if you've seen this, but have you guys seen the... Uh, gratitude journals that like pop up. You can like buy them. It's a, it's, it's a trend on Instagram. I see them all the time. People have these gratitude journals and you can kind of write down a few thoughts today. And they've done the research and worked out that if you're grateful and you regularly write down things that you're grateful for, it has significant health benefits. Really good for your mental health, really good for positive outlook in life, uh, reframing some negative thoughts that you might have, all this kind of stuff. You can go and research it. But the people that make these journals don't believe in a God for the most part. They just think, oh, the practice of gratitude is helpful for you uh, in a psychological way. right? They don't actually believe that there's anyone to be grateful to. Who are they grateful to? I don't know, karma, the universe, nature. They're not grateful to anyone. But we see here that gratitude matters because as we show our gratitude to God, it ties us to him. It deepens our relationship with him as we enjoy his world and turn to him in thanks. Wow, it, it strengthens our connection. It's like, you know, when a friend like, buys you a coffee before a lecture, and you just walk into that lecture, sipping that hot coffee, and it kind of wakes you up, and you're just like, it actually strengthens your friendship as you're grateful for that moment. 
That's what it's like with God. Every time you turn to him in thankfulness, it is strengthening your relationship with the God who made you. Isn't that wonderful? How are you going at practicing gratitude? Do you have little moments throughout the day, routines or habits or patterns, where you are looking to be grateful to God? For me, my family, we have a set question every night, what are you thankful for? Uh, and, and my kids, they're young, you know, one, three, and five. Uh, they, they often say weird things. I'm like, okay, cool, man, if that's what you're grateful for, good for you. But we have this continual rhythm in our lives of turning to be grateful to God. What is it for you? Maybe you could buy a gratitude journal because you know the God to be grateful to. Maybe it's a friend that you can catch up with for a coffee and just every time you see each other, you'll say, hey, what are you grateful to God for this week? How are you going to practice gratitude to God? Because faithful servants of Jesus are grateful. Before we move on to the next one, I want us just to note that it's our relationship with God which shapes our thankfulness and our enjoyment of his world. Okay, do you get that? It's our relationship with God that shapes how we are thankful and what we enjoy and how we enjoy the good things that he's made. You can see it there in verse 5. He says these things that we're to be grateful for, it's sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. See, I was talking to someone earlier and they were like, hang on a sec, can I just be thankful for anything? What about drugs? What about cigarettes? What about, you know, anything, everything? Can I just take anything and then if I'm just thankful at the end, well, that's fine because it's a good thing. And this verse 5 helps us to understand, no, you can't do that, okay? Uh, it, it actually gives us a far better thing than a legalistic uh, do or don't do. It gives us a pattern of life by which to work out what is good, and that's in relationship to God. See, how do you, how do, sanctified just means set apart for special use by God. It's the word holy is another word you might have heard of. How does God show us how to live holy and how to relate to the things of this world in a holy way? By telling us through his word, by prayer, the kind of relational asking him to give us wisdom as we walk through his world, enjoying his good gifts. And so we don't just take anything and just use it however we want. We look to God's word to show us how to engage with the good things of his world. Let me give you a couple just because uh, we talked here in, in the false teachers. What were the ones that they were against? Food and marriage. So let me give you a few. There's no food that can cut you off from God or get you closer to God. But there is a way that you can relate to food that will bring up sin in your life, the sin of gluttony, the sin of turning to food and, and enjoying it more than you enjoy the God of the universe. Or alcohol. Alcohol is a good gift from God we see in the Word. It's a gift that makes our hearts glad. But there is a way that you can so take alcohol and abuse it and get drunk and so numb the problems in your life and rather than deal with them and turn to God in trust, you, you can numb them out with alcohol and drugs. And it, this is most drugs function in this way for us as a society. They function to numb us from our problems so we don't deal with them. And God says that's not what you ought to do if you're a Christian. Ephesians 5, don't get drunk, but fill up on the Holy Spirit, the one who helps you deal with your problems. Right? Another one, marriage and sex. Sex is a great gift. The world thinks that Christians are down on sex. No, why do you think God made human bodies the way that he did? Sex is a good gift from God. But it's not to be abused for your own selfish pleasure. To, to be used selfishly to just get what you want from someone else. 
God gave it to be enjoyed within the context of a marriage where intimacy and commitment go hand in hand and where each person gives of themselves selflessly for the good of the other. Now, there's the good context for the gift. You can't just say, oh, marriage is no good or it's good. or you know, You've got to actually look at God's word and see how we're to engage with the good things of his world. There might be more questions you have there. Uh, ask a question. I can look at it in question time. But there's the first one. Faithful servants of Jesus are grateful. Let's keep going. The second thing that we see in this passage is that faithful servants of Jesus are growing in godliness. We saw in verse 6 at the start, didn't we? What does the truth of God's word do? It nourishes us. It builds us up. See, the truth of God's word is the fuel for godly growth. And this is important. We need to never separate these two. Truth and growth, they go hand in hand. You can't grow in godliness without the truth. And and you need the truth in all areas of your life in order to grow. Okay, That's why Paul says in verse 7 then, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths, but have to do with the truth, because that's how you grow. What does he say? He says, rather, verse 7, train yourself in godliness. See, servants of Jesus Christ train to grow in godliness. Godliness, which is by its very definition to be like God, as shown to us in the person and work of Jesus. God who came down to dwell amongst us and reveal God in all of his fullness in grace and truth, that's what we're to be like. To love what Jesus loves, to act like Jesus acts, to think and value what Jesus values, to be selfless like Jesus. See, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul uses the word train to describe how we're going to grow in godliness. Sometimes I get discouraged in my own life because I think, after all the years of being a Christian that I've had, surely this should just come a bit more easily to me. But growth in godliness takes work, we see, don't we? It takes hard work, and it actually takes intentionality. Uh, This week, I started back in the gym after a couple months off. Uh, I know, I know. it's. But I woke up the other morning at 5 a.m., my alarm went off, and it was like dark and raining and cold, and the very last thing that I wanted to do was get out of bed and go to the gym. The very last thing. I could think of a million things I'd rather do, But I knew that it would be good for me to go because physical training is of some benefit. And I love those benefits. It helps me feel better. It helps me be able to chase after my crazy kids. You get the serotonin release, which is the best drug that you could ever take. Uh, So good for your system, serotonin. it's, It's amazing. See, there are some benefits to physical training, but it takes a lot of work. And Paul's saying, it's the same. likewise, it's the same for your spiritual growth. It takes training and intentionality to keep growing in godliness. See there at the end of verse 7, he says, Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Do you see there? If you train your body well... It'll be good for some time in this life, but eventually you'll get old and you'll get sick and you'll become frail and then you'll die. Okay, I don't want to be a downer, but that's what's going to happen to all of us. But godliness will go on into eternity. See, what is Jesus doing in you right now through his spirit? He's growing you in godliness and there will be a time that he comes back and he will perfect you. There'll be no sin left in you. You'll be perfect for all of eternity in the new creation. Now that's what's awaiting you. And the idea here is that Paul says, godliness now will have benefit into eternity. 
Work at it now because the things that you get to give yourself to now as you grow in godliness are worth it, both here and for the rest of eternity. See, godliness shapes not just life now, but eternity. And so I wanted to kind of break this down a little bit. I've got three ways where we can grow in our godliness, uh, just to kind of make this a bit practical for us. Okay, here's the first one. Godliness and growth is linked to the truth of God's word. Okay, those two things, we can't separate them. We saw that earlier. And so if you want to be godly, you've got to spend time in God's word. How does God's spirit work in your heart and in your life? Well, the sword of the spirit is what? The word of God. If you want to grow in godliness, if you want to have your heart and your mind changed and renewed and and put off the old self and put on the new self that Jesus has saved you to be, You've got to spend time with God in his word. Okay? Are you spending regular, focused time with God every day? It seems like, wow, that's a lot. Every day. Are you sure I have to do it every day? But whether it's reading a book, uh, reading a book of the Bible, reading a psalm, reading a small devotion, are you regularly spending time with God? Not because of a legalistic tick box, I've got to do this to be a good Christian, but because you love Jesus. And you want him to work in your life. You want to give yourself to training to grow in godliness. Why don't you try setting a PB streak to see how much time you can spend with God in the next month? Can you go three days in a row? What about a week straight, spending time with God every day, enjoying who he is and, and having him speak into your life? What about a month? Wouldn't it be cool if we could come back in a month and say, hey, I've got my PB streak? I've been gone a month and I haven't missed spending time with God, not because it's a box to tick, but because I love him. Wow. Now that will set you up to grow in godliness. Spend time with God in his word. Secondly, growth is not just a personal endeavor. Okay, remember Timothy, the good servant, what is he to do? He's to nourish other people, other Christians, by speaking to them about the truth of God's word. That it's God's word that builds us up. And so just like, you know, boot camp style training, there's this kind of accountability as we kind of uh, come together in the morning, you train together and you push each each other. Uh, So godly growth happens in community. This is why we structure our connect groups the way that we do at EV. We don't just have like friendship hangs. Hopefully you are friends with the people in your group. But we're actually there with a purpose to help each other grow help each other grow as disciples of Jesus as we spend time in the Word and as we share with each other and we're vulnerable and we talk about um, how we can see sin in our lives and, and ask people to pray for us. That's the fuel for growth. It doesn't just happen on your own. Let me ask you, are you committed to going deep with your connect group? Some of you might not be in a connect group. It's, it's a wonderful joy to get to partner with other Christians midweek to spend time in the Word and prayer, praying for each other, spending time in God's Word. Are you committed to growing it with your connect group, to actually sharing what's going on beneath the surface, to talking about real sin in your life that will seem a bit awkward to bring up? Uh, do, do you commit to showing up every week? I, I just did the stats for our, our groups, and at Unichat, I think it's like about 60% of the time, 60% of our people are in a group every week. So 40% of us don't show up to the group that we have committed to each week. That's nearly half. And I know, I know that it's late at night, it's cold, it's the middle of winter, i got an essay due the next day, i got a shift at work that night, I've been sick, I'm not feeling... There are a million reasons not to go. But 
Are you committed to getting around the other people that are in your connect group to help them grow? See, connect group's not just about you. It's about helping... It, see, you go and you get something out of it, but you also go to help others grow. Your group misses out every time you're not there because you're part of it. You're part of this thing that God's doing, helping us together to grow, to be more like Jesus. Are you committed to helping others grow? It's the second one. And then thirdly, growth requires intentionality. Okay? If you just rock up to the gym and you do some random sets on a bunch of different machines and then finish on the elliptical trainer, I don't even know how to use that thing, and then go home, chances are you won't grow. So many of us in our lives have a deep plan for growth. Uh, physical goals, we want to be able to lift this much weight or change the number on the scale. Career goals, I want to finish uni with this kind of marks and get into this grad position and, and do this thing in my career. And We have all these big goals for the next six months, three years, five years, ten years. What about your spiritual growth? Have you got a goal that you're trying to grow in? Are you asking God to uh, help you see the ways that you can grow to be more godly? Maybe this term, for the rest of the 1 Timothy series, pick one thing. One area of your life where you'd love God to shape you to be more godly, and you want to work at it intentionally. Pick it, talk about it with people, let them know, pray about it, and make a plan to grow. How are you going to grow? Here's one for me. I was thinking about a few ways that I'm wanting to grow at the moment. One, I've noticed in my own life, when things get hard for me, I kind of just want to escape a little bit into like, uh, YouTube or Instagram or like uh, basically anything that's not hard. And it's kind of similar to how I talked about alcohol, right? It's actually a kind of has a numbing effect in my life. I go, I can just avoid the hardness by just doom scrolling on Instagram. And, and so for me, growing in godliness, what I want to do over the next term is turn into that feeling that I feel, bring it in prayer to God and ask him to give me the strength to process and, and keep moving through rather than turning away and numbing myself out. So for me, next time you talk to me, come and ask me, hey, how are you going at fighting escapism and actually turning and processing? I'd love you to do that. Do it with each other. Set a goal, make it tangible, and then seek to grow. God loves us to grow as godly servants of Jesus. And just, just as we kind of finish up this second point, can I just say, you don't grow in order to meet some kind of standard so that Jesus will accept you. It's not like that. It's not that you have to meet this set of criteria before God will accept you and say, okay, you've, you've passed the bar for my standard. It's totally the opposite. See, look what Paul says in verse 9. He says, This saying is trustworthy and, full, and deserves full acceptance. For this reason we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people especially of those who believe. Do you notice the, the logic there? Why does Paul say he labors and strives? Because he's put his hope in the living God, the one who's the savior of all people. It's amazing. God saves us, but he doesn't leave us where we are. And so he gives us the fuel by his spirit and his word to grow. But you don't do those things in order to be right with God. You do them because you've got your hope in God. So if you're not a Christian here tonight... Can I just say, don't leave here thinking you've got to do more to be right with God. Lots of other religions in the world do function like that. They show you the ladder that you need to climb up to get right with God and meet his standard. But Christianity is the complete opposite. Christianity is God saying to you, 
I know who you are. I made you, and I know the depths of your brokenness. You could never get up to me and meet my standard, no matter how long you spent trying to do it. And so he sends his son into the world to die for us, to take our sin on himself. And in so doing that, we rise from death into life. He takes us in on himself and we have new life, new birth with Christ. That's the center of the Christian hope. If that's something you'd like to explore more if you're here and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, we'd love you to come along to Explaining Christianity. The next one's starting on the 29th, Tuesday. Get along. You can ask questions. It's a chilled out kind of space. You can think into what it is that Jesus actually claims about himself. It's not meet my standard and I'll accept you. It's come and... Accept the forgiveness that's on offer because Christ has died for you. Okay? You need to hear that if you're here tonight and you don't yet trust Jesus. But faithful servants of Jesus, they're growing in godliness. And and they have the bigger picture, right? They don't have the kind of main character, my life's all about me kind of energy. What do they have? They see that the big picture of the Christian life is the God who is saving people, wanting to bring them to himself, and so they serve and grow and and encourage others to keep growing as well. They want to serve to build each other up. See, this is the vision for why we all serve here at at UniChurch. It's not because it's something that we just do. It's because we want to see our church be a place that makes and grows disciples of Jesus. And so all the different people that serve to pull off Sunday church, that we, we do it because we want to help others grow. We want to be a church that sees more and more people trust in King Jesus. And I was going to tell you about a few of the people who have been so encouraging to me over this last kind of year or so, but I thought I'd get some of them to share it. And so we've got a little video. Have a look and see uh, some of them who are serving. Have we got a video? Yeah, let's go. Hey, I'm Winnie, and I serve on the Barista team at Central. Hey, I'm Michael. I go to Uni Church, and I serve on the EV Kids primary team. Hi, my name is Mel. I'm on the welcoming team at EV North. Hi, I'm Esther. I'm from Uni Church and I'm part of the Outlines team. Hi, my name's Justin. I go to Uni Church and I serve on the Pack Up and Pack Down team called Pack and Save. Hi, I'm Natalie. I'm part of the Bible reading team at EV Central. So I used to work um, as a front of house barista in hospitality and that has been super helpful in transferring those skills, um, being on the barista team. It's been Cool to see those skills shared, teaching others as well alongside um, on my team. So what's been really encouraging, those coffees that are handed out, they facilitate the um, chats that can be held after the service to wrestle with the ideas and thoughts that were discussed in the sermon and also to just hang around and get to meet new people. And it's great seeing that um, as a team and that we can just give people coffee. At EV Kids, we teach the kids about God, we use games, we use stories, we use memory verses, we follow the sermon series so the whole family can grow in the word together. It's so exciting to be part of it because we get to see the moments when uh, something clicks and I can tell that the kid has come to understand something more about the gospel, that Jesus being fully God and fully man died to save us. Uh, One of the things I love about Pack and Save is actually the name, um, Pack and Save. We me and my team, we pack into church, we bring everything in and out um, so the gospel can be preached and yeah, so people can be saved. As I serve on the Outlines team, each week I get to help create the outlines that we get to see every Sunday. You get to see the announcements of any events or opportunities which help to in- let people know what's coming up. One such event is Dependent, which is in a night where 
the church gathers to pray to God. What I find really cool about outlines is just it, how such a small thing can take, be part of a great uh, ministry and encouraging people in the Word. I'm serving on the welcoming team because, um, because of what Jesus has done. Um, God has welcomed all of us in his, into His family and yeah, we really want to extend that to all people who walk into church. We hope that, um, yeah, that prepares people to be able to um, hear the Word of God and hear that truth and feel God's love through us as well. So I love being part of the Bible reading team because we get to actually speak the inspired words of God um, out loud so that people can hear them. Uh, these words have been written over hundreds, thousands of years um, and they're God's story for us and it's a real privilege to be able to say what God wants us to hear. How cool is that, hey? Uh, shout out to those guys and all the other legends that want to help others grow at our church. Uh, lots of people here serve in formal roles, but informal roles as well. And, and you might have picked up there in the video that lots of them, why do they serve? What did they say? Because they want to see God's word go out. Because God's word is powerful to save and, it, and it, it grows and builds us up as we share it among ourselves. This is the third point in your outlines, the final point. Faithful servants of Jesus keep God's word at the center. They keep God's word at the center. You can see it there. Look at it. Pick it up with me in verse 11. Paul says to Timothy, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. See, what does a church full of faithful servants of Jesus do when we gather together to do this thing called church? Well, we center it on the Word of God. We give ourselves to reading it, to teaching it, to encouraging each other to take it to heart and let it bear fruit in our lives as we share it among us. It's the, the, this great joy of seeing God transform us by His Word. We give it our center of our attention. It's why at EV we have uh, the Bible read and a sermon preached every single Sunday. You won't find us as a church not doing either of those two things. In fact, I'd say if you're gathering together and not doing that, it's not actually doing church. The central to what we do as a church is to gather around Jesus and hear from him in his word. But can I say, if that's all you think the word is at church, you've got kind of a narrow view of how the word goes out. It goes out among us as we sing deep, rich songs that point each other to Jesus. It goes out among us as we have conversations after church at dinner up the back, uh, encouraging each other to trust Him in the hard moments of our lives. It goes out as we gather in connect groups midweek and, and sit under the Word of God and have it shape and grow us and we pray and we spend time with God. See, everything we do together as a church centers on the Word of God. It's why Paul tells Timothy to set an example in verse 12. Because there's a life centered on the Word of God will shape you, it'll transform you, it'll, it'll cause you to live different. See, look at those things that Paul tells Timothy to set an example in. His speech, his conduct, his love, his faith, and his purity. Wow. How does the Word of God shape each of those areas for you? This week in Connect Groups, we're going to have a chance to unpack that more, ask that question. Um, maybe you could have a think 
reflect, pray, how are you going in each of those areas, and come ready to share, ready to be a bit vulnerable with your group. If you're not in a group and you want to get in one before next week so you can do this, you better come and <laughs> talk to us real quick because that's coming around soon. Um, but yeah, it, this is what we do as a church. We center on the Word of God as faithful servants to help each other grow in godliness. And particularly for Timothy, he's got this role where he is a servant. We're all servants. But more than that, he's also the elder or the pastor of the church. And so Paul says to him, verse 14, his life... And his teaching need to be in step. He they says there, you see, don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Now, I don't think this is anything particularly um, weird going on. You know, it might be, but it's, I think it's simply when Timothy joined the church, the current elders that were there got around him and prayed for him and said, hey, you're going to do a great job here in this role as an elder, helping people grow in their knowledge and love of Jesus. I think that's what's going on. See, for Timothy, though, if he's got all these amazing gifts, but he's not this kind of person who's godly, well, the gifts are going to go to waste. In fact, he'll probably cause more harm than good being the kind of leader that isn't godly. And that's true for all of us. We all live this life that is to be integrated, both the things that we know and the way that we love others. It's to go hand in hand. And so Paul says again, verse 15, he says, Practice these things. Be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to your life and teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. So you notice it's not just being motivated to godliness before God, but Paul says here, The way you act will either cause great good or great harm for the gospel as people watch your life and the things that you do. See, people are looking at the way you live, how you relate to your um, friends at uni, how you relate to your co-workers, how, how you relate to people on the bus. People are looking at the way you spend your money, how you talk to others. They're, they're watching that, and as you do it, you'll either cause great good for the gospel as people see your life and go, wow, there's someone that I want to know more about. Why do they do the things that they do? Or you'll cause such damage because the way you act will um, be hurtful to the name of Jesus as people come to find out, oh, that person, they're a Christian. I don't want to be anything like that. Great opportunity, but great potential for harm as well. And so we need to pay close attention both to the truth that we know and the way that we live. Yeah, What a great opportunity we have to be shining lights for Jesus in the world. One of my favorite church leaders, uh, a man called Francis Schaeffer, he wrote lots of stuff on the church and on being on a missionary in the kind of uh, late 20th century. Uh, and so this is this from the 1980s, this book. And uh, he, he so helpfully captures up this reality that we both need to be concerned with what we love and how we love, and also the truth that we know and hold dear. It's going to come on the screen. Let me read it out for you. He says this. <clears throat> One cannot explain the explosive power of the early church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously, the orthodoxy of doctrine and the orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. By the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. Our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community. 
But the exhibition of love of God in practice is beautiful and must be there. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying the same thing that 1 Timothy 4 is saying. As, as servants of Jesus, we need to live this integrated life where we both know the truth and love, a, a community where we're shaped by being people who are willing to forgive, who are willing to be kind and generous, gentle and humble, who want to serve each other because Jesus has first served us. And as we live that way as individuals, we create this kind of a culture, a community which is a beautiful, shining light in a world which says it's all about you and your interests. What a beautiful picture Unichurch could be and is as we live this out. See, God's making us a new community, a community that loves the truth and that loves each other. There might be someone you need to go and speak to tonight who you've been putting off talking to or you've uh, found really hard to get on with, you've had disagreements with. You can't be someone that loves the truth if you're not willing to love and reconcile with each other as a church community. Notice as well that God doesn't demand perfection. You might be sitting here thinking, oh, there's so much to do. So much to do. I'm so far from perfect. You might be sitting here feeling guilty and aware of your own failures in some of these areas. Let me encourage you. God shows us grace upon grace. He shows us mercy. He, he reminds us throughout the letter of 1 Timothy, doesn't he, that you know, Paul says, God saved me the worst of sinners. That's all of our story if we're in Jesus. He's saved us and he's aware that we aren't perfect. See, what does, what does it look like to be a servant of Jesus? Verse 15, God's not after perfection, but progress. See, how cool would it be to look back in six months' time or in a year's time from now about some, some, some area in your life, some sin that you've been finding really hard and, and trying to fight against, and to look back and see answered prayer and God growing you in godliness, and that's not a problem for you anymore. Or to see something that you're seeking after to be more gentle, to be more prayerful, to be more uh, encouraging to others, and to be able to look back in six months and see, wow, God's grown me. This is the Christian life as servants of Jesus, that we're growing, we're progressing in our faith. He doesn't demand perfection, but we're playing the long game, aren't we, with our growth. We're playing the long game to continually keep being intentional, to train, to grow in godliness as servants of Jesus. As we finish, let me just. We've got a saying here at EV that we believe our best days are ahead of us. See, none of us is perfect. We're all aware of our need, and we're all aware of God in His Word, by His Spirit, changing us and growing us. And so we're convinced that for each of us here tonight, if our trust is in Jesus, our best days are ahead. He's growing us, He's shaping us to be this community and this body of Christians who know the truth and who love the truth and live it out in our relationships. What a joy that is. Let's pray that God would help us do that more and more. Father God, we are so thankful that we get to serve you. We're so thankful that we don't just give ourselves to our own small view of our own little dreams and and values, but we get to partner with you in the work that you are doing in this world. You are the living God, the Savior and hope of all. We pray that you might help us to live as servants of Jesus. That you would help us to be grateful, to look for opportunities to enjoy your world and live in it your way according to how you have made it and made us to live in it. We pray that we would be servants who want to grow. That even when it's hard work, we would care about our own growth and train to grow spiritually. That you'd help us to look 
around and see who we can encourage to grow. And really at the heart of it, Lord God, we pray that we would be servants who are centered on your word, who live lives that are word-soaked, spirit-filled, shaped and um, grown up as this body of Christians together who love Jesus, who center ourselves on him. We're so thankful for what you've done in us and continue to do. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.